G'day and welcome to another Green and Gold Rugby podcast, podcast number 203. Thanks for joining us. Uh, tonight we've got a packed podcast. Uh, we've got a really special guest and we're going to follow our uh, sort of five burning questions format we've been doing for a few weeks now. We've had some good feedback on that. Thanks for those who let us know. Uh, we're going to kick off. The first thing we're going to talk about tonight is obviously that whole burning issue around the Western Force. What's going on there? Should they be thinking about moving to Western Sydney? And we've got an expert in that matter to talk to us about that, Greg Harris. We're going to get him on in just a second. Then we're going to get into the Reds versus the Tar match. Um, you know, it's that age-old derby. Uh, was it a, a good old-fashioned stoush or was it yet another drab local derby um, just full of uh, rubbish rugby? Number three, are the Kiwis that far ahead of everybody? Um, I saw today a power rankings put out by, uh, is it Sumo Stevenson, in which he had the Kiwis filling the top, I think it was four, maybe even five positions. So do we agree with him or not? Will Eddie's England bring hurt to the Wallabies? That's number four. These guys have just taken a grand slam for the first time in quite a while now. So is that something we should be getting worried about? And then finally, Checker is off overseas. He's out there trying to uh, scout some Aussie-based talent and see if he can bring him back. Who should he be talking to? Who do we want him back? So there's the five things that we're going to be talking about tonight. But let's kick off with the discussion with Greg Harris. Joining me now, we've got a man who knows a hell of a lot about a lot of the issues facing Australian rugby at the moment. We've got a man who's been CEO of Rupa, of the Western Force and of Waratahs, uh, Greg Harris. G'day, mate. How are you? Good. Good, mate. Look, um, I know you've, you've actually finished up at, the, at the, the Tars there now. Are you having a chance just to put your feet up for a little bit? Um, sort of, although people like you keep contacting me and asking me for opinions, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> sort of half out of it, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> You're not not helping yourself, mate. Um, no, no, that's lost. Well, mate, look, there's there's plenty of going on. So, and we we actually put um just a tweet out just earlier on, um, just asking if anyone had some questions, for example, and they kind of dove into some of the exact things we wanted to kind of um, talk to you about, actually. And I think, look, um, Andrew Brogan jumped straight to it. Um, and he's, his straight-up question is, why do you think uh, that Western Sydney will work um, in light of the historical crowd numbers at ANZ? So I guess what he's asking for is, you know, why would the Western Force work well moving to Western Sydney? Um, it's an interesting question and uh, one that's uh, an issue that I don't think um, has been uh, fully disclosed in the media when I uh, made that initial comment. Um, some naive reports have been that, um, well, if the Waratahs only make so much revenue, then uh, how would that work if that was uh, half? It's not about halving the existing revenue streams, it's about actually growing your business where you actually have the most people. When I say growing your business, I don't just mean growing the, um, the number of participants. I don't just mean growing the number of attendances. Um, but also, it's talking about the corporate support. Um, one of the things that was um, mentioned to me when I first went over to Perth, uh, at that stage, I was the chairman of the Educational Milkweek in the NRL. And um, one of the things that the NRL guys said to me was that you don't have enough product. 
I didn't realise that until I went over there. And then I realised that we play um, half a dozen games then and we play seven or eight games at home now. And a couple of the, um, I think the real criteria for uh, uh, competing with the NFL, the, the NRL and the AFL is that um, we need more product live. You know, we, we don't have um, the local derby games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that you could actually build our business in, in the strongholds of Sydney and Brisbane if we had more uh, local derbies and we would be more attractive to commercial partners as well as um, people coming to games to watch local derbies. Um, so it's really a matter of growing your business, not halving your business. And um, I think it's rather naive if people don't understand that. Okay. And so just understanding a little bit more also, so... With the Western Sydney piece, I mean, you must have seen this at the TARS. You guys would have been looking at player numbers, supporter base, and, and all this sort of thing. Is uh, you know, are the people, are the are the players and the supporters there? Do you think it would become tribal like that? That you would see a Western Sydney following? Did, what did your research sort of tell you guys? Look, I you mean, know, one of my research is personal. You know, I mean, um, as, as you and uh, I was aware, um, I've got a fairly extensive background in AFL. And, um, in fact, I was the first development manager in Sydney in 1986 and 1987 with the AFL and the Sydney Swans. It's a matter of actually not saying, hey, listen, who's there at the moment? Um, it's a matter of actually growing your business and, and you grow your business in, in, in the uh, environments which are most capable of, um, of accommodating that. And, and, and that's Sydney and that's Brisbane. Um, they're your heartlands. Um, and, um, one of the things that I stress is, you know, when you watch a um, you know a tribal game, I watched um, the Geelong Hawthorne game yesterday with seventy eight thousand, seventy eight thousand, almost eighty thousand people there. Yeah, you know I mean that's that's marquee brands and that's tribalism. I mean, what we're talking about here is not hey, what's going to happen tomorrow. We're talking about generational things, mm-hmm. and uh, we're looking at the, you know like the Turner system in your situation whereby um, there would be a, a tribal situation between uh, a Greater Western City team. Yeah, uh, and uh, and the Waratahs, for example. So I mean, these things aren't done on. Uh, hey, listen, what's going to happen tomorrow? It's um, it's how do you how do you grow your business where the, where where the commercial revenues are, where the people are, where the where the useful support is for your game, mm. and where you can make it work. And so I don't look at a simplistic position or yeah, you know, hey, what's going to happen next year? You've got to actually have a long term strategy as far as these decisions are concerned. Okay. And, mate, look, just looking at the other side of the coin, which is obviously the Western Force and how clearly what's come to light is they've struggled financially. Um, but then also just looking back over the years, they've struggled in terms of just, you know, results. I think that, you know, never kind of coming above about mid-table, seventh in the table or so. Um, what Can you just kind of help us understand more the detail of the struggles that they face in trying to make the Force work? Matt, I'd like to put in perspective the comments that I made to Tom Beast in the hell over a week ago, which is probably two weeks ago. Um, and, um, and I, I actually had a conversation with Tony Howard, who's the chairman of the course, um, um, a week ago and said, look, um, Tony, my comments were not, um, to denigrate the efforts of the people who have been over there. I think that their mm. efforts have been fantastic. Um, my, my comments were, if, if they are to be competitive, then, then the contracting rules need to be changed in the game. There mm-hmm. needs to be things such as the drafts, etc., introduced to the game to have an equalisation process. Now, 
that hasn't occurred, and um, you know, I mean, that that club's been there for ten years. You know, unless those changes occur, then um, from a from a player perspective, the only time where they've actually had a a pretty good uh, roster has been on the back of the firepower uh, payments from a third party. Mm. Um, now, when I look at that, I say, well, you either change the way in which uh, the players are actually allocated to the clubs. And if you equalise the, the, the player talent across the clubs, the problem you've got is, and, and, and Michael Checker pointed this out um, over a year ago, you have five teams that not, not one team will actually host a final. Um, and economically and commercially, you know, that's not the best interest of the game here. I mean, the Waratahs over the last two years have actually held three finals games, two semi-finals and a final, which has been $3 million to the bottom line for the Waratahs, plus a, a significant multiplier effect through another other revenue streams to the game in general. Um, so you go look at it and say, what's the sustainable number of clubs in Australia and whereabouts they position? I mean, my comments were more along the lines of, hey, look, there are a lot of good people out there who have put a lot of hard work into that club. And if it can survive, then great, that's fantastic. Let's, let's, let's work to make it a level playing field. But if it can't, then stop making people actually work for nothing. Because, mm. uh, I mean, I'm a realist like that and say, hey, look, that, that, was, that was my position. And you've got some of this ready to go. Yeah, so, but that's lost, you know. And, and so, mate, so, so help me understand then, you're just saying there, you're talking about how, you know, you need to tra- change contracting and you would need to think about a draft system. That to me is saying that, look, it's just difficult to get the talent across there. Is, is that the case? Is, I mean, because I think well, there's, been a, there's been a bit of a stoush going on on some of our discussion boards saying, hey, look, if someone wants a super rugby contract, then, you know, they're going to definitely go there. But from what you're saying, it's not, it's, it's not as easy. It's that, that, I mean, look, that, that, that's people who aren't involved in the business of the game. I mean, if, if um, you have, you know, and, and the numbers vary from year to year, but as an average, let's say you've got 55% or 60% of the athletes who play Super Rugby coming from Sydney, mm. uh, and, and, and another, say, 30, 35% coming from, from Brisbane. Then you have to pay above the odds to get those players over there. There are young players playing at the Warren Park who will stay here and won't go to Perth because at the end of the day, the dislocation factor where you can stay at home and, you know, you don't have to, uh, to move. You, you know, and if you don't play Super Rugby, the problem is that when you play in Perth, then, then where are you going to play? You're going to play in a local competition, which, you know, some people from Perth might want to actually argue is comparable to city competition, but I think they're way off the mark. So a young player, and the agents are going to have a fair role in this. They're going to say, look, why would you go over there? Uh, you're better off staying here on the East Coast where you'll get picked up by the Brumbies, the Reds, the Waratahs, and now the Rebels, rather than head to Perth, which is a, a, you know, a major journey. And if your football's not going to develop in a high level of competition, if you're not playing super rugby, why would you risk your arm and do that? Yeah. I mean, that's the problem you've got. But I think it also stems back to the fact that um, the Super Rugby competition, you know, in my own opinion, should be, uh, and, and, and that was one which uh, we uh, basically identified at Rupa, uh, initially should be a uh, Australian New Zealand model. Mm-hmm. And, mate, so just moving on to that then and just talking about uh, Super Rugby, 
it, it looks like now pretty much all the provinces are suffering. And I think you've made the comment a few times, if, if you guys hadn't have made those semis in the final the last couple of years, the Tars would have been in trouble. Um, we know the Brumbies are suffering. We know the Reds are now. Um, the Force obviously are. And then, you know, the Rebels are you're kind of soaking up private money. If none of the franchises are, are, make, are able to make it work, is it just a broken competition? I mean, is it is it possible to keep going or you know what's 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 what can its future be? Um, in two thousand and two thousand and thirteen, the ARU did a uh, commissioned a report by a group called Saltbush Capital Markets, which was headed up by a guy called Patrick Galloway, who was a business partner of Michael Hawker. Um, that report actually uh, recommended uh, a, uh, a concept called Rugby uh, Rugby Australia which was basically bringing all the professional arms together in, in a similar to a New Zealand model. Um, the only issue that, that, that makes us very different um, from the New Zealand model is that we have NRL and IFL to contend with and that we also have a major geographical distance uh, from uh, the, uh, the New Zealand rugby union model. So the outcome of that was actually consolidating and, and, and aggregating um, the professional rugby entities into one unit, which was Rugby Inc. Mm-hmm. or Rugby Australia Inc. Um, at that time, um, when I was at Rupert, we uh, commissioned a report from a group called Global Media and Sports, headed uh, up by a guy called Colin Smith, who'd done extensive work with RU previously. And um, we went to the RU and said, look, you have to get an Australian New Zealand model um, and a South African Argentinian model, uh, two different conferences, um, to compete, for Australia to compete in, the, in, in our domestic marketplace. People have to know who we're playing against and we have to play week in, week out football. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Australia got compromised, in my opinion, at the Sanzo negotiations. I went along with New Zealand to Africa who have had, um, let's say, a, a far more um, uh, extensive and historical relationship. Um, we'd advocated at the time from the Players Association that um, we need to make a, 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 a harder stand on that, but um, that, that wouldn't suit us. And frankly, when you make those decisions, they're five-year decisions. Uh, because the media rights, and you can't change that after uh, you've committed to it. Uh, personally, I think that um, we've tried to cover too many bases with the revenues that are available in the game, mm-hmm. and um, such as, you know, and I'm not denying the importance of sevens or whatever other things have got, but um, at the end of the day, you've um, developed the strengths to work with your weaknesses, and, and, and the super rugby teams are basically being underfunded. Mm-hmm. Uh, where monies have been transferred to other areas of business, and uh, consequently, uh, those super rugby clubs are, uh, are struggling, and also whether or not they're placed in the best uh, long-term uh, markets uh, available for the game. All right, and mate, look, I've got a couple of just going back to Twitter. I've got a couple of questions touching on this. One from um, Vinny and one from Alex, and they're both asking. So Alex asked, um, "Does anyone see free-to-air as a way of advertising Australian rugby?" So he's, he's basically saying, and I think Vinny's touched on this as well. What's your view on the impact that uh, not having free-to-air has had? I mean, obviously, you working in AFL and, and, and NRL before would have a view on that. Is it is it is it big? Is it is it quantifiable? The catch-22 is, uh, and, and, and this is what uh, a major differentiation 
between ourselves and New Zealand South Africa is that we've got parties to the Sanzar Agreement, not uh, partners, in that um, they have a much higher penetration with their uh, 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 pay uh, TV situation in New Zealand and South Africa because when you put um, rugby union on, well, that's all there is. Right. In Australia, um, well, mate, if I don't have rugby, I can watch the AFL, I can watch the NRL. You know, we have a separate marketplace to them. I mean, without any doubt that if you don't have a free-to-air presence, um, it hampers your capacity to develop your game. However, you know, um, uh, the, the catch-22 is if you watch Fox, what is the reason why you actually subscribe to Fox Sport? The only free-to-air, uh, you know, competition, you know, and, and I'd say this with somewhat tongue in the mouth about you know, the, um, the the football or soccer, you know, is is um, is rugby. Uh, so I mean, rugby is a major uh, component of subscriptions to free-to-air, or not the free-to-air, to pay TV for Fox. Um, so we get a premium price off Fox because um, it uh, works, you know, very well for their subscriptions. But at the end of the day, if you want to grow your product when you've only got about 30% penetration, probably even less in, uh, in, in uh, you know, uh, pay TV in Australia, um, then you need to grow it through free to air, no doubt. But you're going to lose your premium price you get for your product, which actually goes towards paying your players and underwriting your game. So, so rugby's caught in the cash 22 in Australia with that issue. Mm. Um, and the other thing is that rugby's caught in is that here's the game as it is at the moment attractive enough to compete with um, rugby league and AFL. Um, the super rugby games that uh, if you watch on the weekend, probably um, one would have to question whether or not they're competitive with the other codes on a free-to-air basis. And that's where, you know, the, the, the free-to-air TV goes, well, hey, listen, we're already committed so many times to those other two codes. Mm. Um, is actually going to be with rugby union, uh, going to be able to uh, deliver us uh, more viewers. Mm. Well, mate, look, so I've got a question. Okay, look, I've got a question here from Reg. Uh, Greg, mate, uh, just want to go back to your time at the Force there. What sort of support did you get from the ARU over there, and, and did it compare with what you had in your time at the Waratahs? I mean, were they there, you know, helping you break into that new market? I guess you were down the track a little bit from the Force's genesis, but you know, were you getting support from the national body? Yeah. Um the, the, the support from the RU is pretty much limited to, um, listen, we'll play a test match there, yep. and here's your money to run your business, which is the same money that each other, every other state gets. The problem which you have with the contracting rules is that um, um, each state gets the same number amount of money, but if you have a certain number of um, nationally contracted players, then those players uh, get that extra funding. So, I mean, at that stage, those, the, the players which we had there, the likes of Nathan Sharp, Drew Mitchell, um, uh, Mount Gitto, et cetera, were getting national top-ups. So, I mean, but the only reason, well, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons why those guys were actually playing in Perth was uh, the promise of third-party money. So, it's, um, I suppose, look, it, it, it's, it's a more complex thing than, than people just watching the game realise is... Um, how the production of that and how the finance and that goes on behind, behind closed doors. Yeah, okay. So, Look, Greg, uh, you've obviously got um, pretty uh, esteemed history in the game and, and on other games in, in, in sport in Australia. Um, I'm not sure what your next move is. You're not sizing up a desk up here in Ballymore, are you at all? 
No, I'm spending more time down my mum's at Mollymook, actually, mate, going to the beach at the race. Damn, damn. <laughs> R- Reggie, are you on sort of some commission, mate? We keep having. I think you've hit up everybody we've had on the last <laughs> I'll claim the finders fee, mate. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> um, and look, just actually. Uh, Greg, we talked about it earlier. We were talking about this Western Sydney thing. What possible timescale could you imagine that being on? Um, I mean, obviously, AOU's got to stay with five teams. They've contracted that for, what, is it the next five years or so? Um, but it, when it would come to maybe shifting a force to uh, Western Sydney, what are we talking about? Could it be ready for next season or would it take an, a number of years? Oh, look, I'm not an advocate of how you know, jump out of the boat here and go there. You know, I'm mm. an advocate of saying, hey, look, at the end of the day, um, uh, when yours is a fairly intellectual program, so I could throw this in. Pericles said, time is the wisest counsel of all. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we need to uh, properly assess what uh, the best options are. And as you said, yeah, I mean, and as I've said, there's a five-year window, which is your media rights deal. So you've responsibly put, you know, um, a team in the competition, five teams in the competition. Now, um, there are other components to look into that as far as the relationship with the West Australian government and a whole lot of things, you know, such as that. Um, so I'm not saying, hey, listen, let's jump out of Perth tomorrow and let's go to Western Sydney, et cetera, et cetera. There is a lot of, you know, turf to be covered if you're going to do something like that. And the worst thing you can do is rush into it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, hey, look, you need to assess it uh, from a whole of game perspective. Uh, and I said this to Bill Pulver, it would have been, you know, over two years ago. If you had a blank canvas, where would you put your five teams? Now, I look at it from different uh, experiences I've had in uh, in Australian sport and, and look at, you know, Hawthorne's uh, playing some games in Tasmania has been a great move. South Sydney playing some games in, in Perth has been a good move. I go back to my involvement with the Swans when I was chairman of selectors is the fact that we didn't cut off our ties with South Melbourne and when we played in South Melbourne, in Melbourne, the South Melbourne supporters supported us. You know, what you've got to look at is what other people have done and what's worked and what might work for your game and to play to your strengths. Um, so, look, I, I honestly think that there's a fair amount of uh, time um, to assess these things and a fair amount of negotiations and discussions to go forward mm-hmm. rather than, um, I mean, the sensationalism of the press, oh, Waratah CEO says, of course, should move to Sydney. <laughs> well, yeah, look, you know, that, that, that's something which I did say, but, but, but the context of it as far as the full assessment of how that might occur, because mm-hmm. I honestly think that, there is a great push here for um, the private equity uh, and that um, I mean, it's something which the previous ARU administration, the O'Neill administration, did very well when they went to soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I know that when I was CEO of the Western Force in 2008, they commissioned a report about private equity in rugby and um, I think that had a lot of merit to it and I think things like that need to be you know, fully... Um, uh, assessed uh, in the light of any moves you might make with respect to the, the, the teams you have in Super Rugby. Righto. Well, look, mate, look, we've uh, taken up more time than we said we would um, from you tonight. Thanks for that. It's been great to get your insight. Um, and, uh, you know, good luck with uh, whatever you decide to do over the next uh, coming months, mate. All right, cheers. And thanks for um, for uh, giving me a call, mate. And uh, also for the, uh, the various chats we've had over the years. No, mate, it's all good. It's always a pleasure. All right, mate. Speak to you later. All right. Cheers, boys. Bye. Thanks, Greg. 
Well, that was uh, an enlightening conversation with Greg, a man who's well, he's got had a, such a range of jobs in sport across Australia. Um, Reg, how'd you find that, mate? Yeah, mate, really enlightening. I um, I, I didn't really appreciate his full, I guess, resume. You know, he worked for the Swans and the NRL, um, let alone sort of establishing Sydney University as a sporting mecca as it is in Australia sport. Um, can take a lot of the credit or, or blame, depending which, which side you take on, really establishing Sydney University rugby as well as a um, as a strength. So, uh, yeah, fascinating insight. Had a really a lot of really interesting things to say. Probably some things we'll get on into uh, pretty soon. Yeah, and well, let's get stuck into that, Barbar, mate. You've been ruminating on this. Um, I know you wrote a great piece that uh, we published today, looking at both sides of this story about Western Force versus Western Sydney. What what should we be looking at? Um, what did you get out of that conversation, mate? Did that shed any light on it for you? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we could have gone on for another twenty or thirty minutes there. I think he's he's such an interesting guy, and and obviously tempering some of those comments, and you know the the Herald probably did blow it up a little bit more than it probably should have been. But mm. uh, I mean, the the talk of private equity and trying to get private equity in the and the government involved in the force there was really interesting to finish there just to just as a bit of a way forward for them and and yeah it's it's such a tough environment they face out there and and um geez it's it's just so uh, it's so many issues at the moment in in, in Aussie rugby um mm. and then all the talk about the super competition too i mean oh really meaty stuff there but when it comes to that issue then as far as should it be western force or western sydney i mean you've been looking at this and you, now you've heard that i'm i'm not really sure what more we could do to how much more information we can put behind that. I mean, I think one of the things we might want to have a look at, and we've been, we're looking at maybe getting some people on the podcast to give us a bit more information about what is the story in Western Sydney and why are people thinking it's the promised land. But has, where are you at the moment in your thinking? Which way are you wavering? Should we be oh. sticking out west or should we be thinking about Sydney? Look, I think we should stick out west for the next three or four years. I, I, mm. think, I, I think the one of the catalysts for moving this discussion along, I think, is, is when Parramatta Stadium is redeveloped. I think if, if there can be a world-class stadium out there, sort of a, a, a twenty to 30,000-seat stadium for them to play at and, and a world-class base out there, um, with the NRC a few years on, there's probably, hopefully, the Western Sydney Rams a little bit more ensconced there. That's probably a time to start looking at doing the numbers and seeing what might work. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the three years, if the force can't turn it around in that time, they can't start to get some results on the field and and get that you know those um those losses under under control and start to build a little bit. Um, if they're still in the cellar in three years' time, then I think it it'll it'll be some really you know a time for some really hard questions to be asked. But for yeah. now, I don't think anyone's advocating they move tomorrow. But it's you know the last two weeks has been oh I mean pretty horrible. They're they're pretty horrible at the moment and. And something's got to change there, and and uh, coupled with the the hardship financially, then mm. you know it, it's not a pre- pretty picture out there. Rich. It's interesting, Matt. Sorry to cut in there. It is not just a loan decision or whether you move the force to Western Sydney. Mm. This will be determined by the whole future of what Super Rugby. And it's interesting to see his perception there that you break off South Africa 
and uh, Argentina, you know, what, what happens to Japan, I don't know. The, it's interesting that it's his successor to the Waratahs, Andrew Hall, um, who comes from Welsh rugby today, has come out and said that he thinks there should be greater, greater links to, to the Northern Hemisphere in Super Rugby and, and, and suggests that some of those um, Welsh Pro 12 teams might end up being part of that South African conference as well, and he'd like to start those discussions. So if you do farm off, and this has been discussed, if you do farm off South Africa... And that conference into, you know, and they only meet at finals. I don't know what it becomes. Mm. The, the, the argument for keeping the force, unfortunately, becomes less. I mean, because if you did start the slate clean, as Greg suggested, you know, one of the really big selling points was the force for the force was that time, fr- time zone with South Africa and stopovers between um, South Africa and Australia. Mm. Uh, that becomes irrelevant. You know, you, yeah. you would. I mean, if it was, if there was no South African conference, that fourth province would have gone to the Rebels ahead of the Force, and the fifth conference probably would have gone to Western Sydney or, you know, South Australia or North New South Wales. So it's a, it's a really, it's a big picture decision that that um, some strong leadership within the ARU needs to get their head around. Yeah. Well, it sounds like probably what we're saying is that, you know, in this next time period of four to five years. Nothing drastic is going to probably change. Um, but, um, you know, probably around about that time, you know, there might be some sort of a, you know, a, some sort of a shake up. And, you know, if we got a division along those lines, like you're talking about, because this competition has just become so unwieldy, um, that it would be something where maybe we'd see that um, Australian trans um sort of competition. But then, you know, you say that, and I think. Um, I think Greg touched on it, is that people have said, well, actually, it's the Kiwis you do want to play. So they don't see that competition as, uh, you know, as palatable. They want to have South Africa in there somehow. So it just, it, I don't know, a bit of a big mess. The one thing I will say is I, I've got a couple of whispers from at least one person who I'd say um, is, is, in, is in the know, which sort of says this time frame could be shorter than that. Um, yeah. Um, and that actually, you know, for example, discussions around that uh, Parramatta Stadium, that it was sort of under the proviso that there would be some sort of a super rugby team there, as an example, um, and that it could all happen a bit faster. But anyway, who knows um, what to believe at the moment. Um, anyway, so, if I mean, you know, Greg Harris, um, he, he was able to give us a great perspective on that. And I think you're right, Reg, I think probably the, the biggest... Oh, the most interesting comment he made there was about, look, if you were to start again, you know, would you do it this way? And I think most people, if you look at where the forces ended up now, it's hard to argue that you would. Um, it's, it's just a case of what's the reality. Um, so that's the force and, uh, and Western Sydney or not. Let's move on to our next burning issue, um, the Reds versus the Tars. So we saw a, a right old slugfest on the, on the weekend. Um, I'm trying to is it was it fifteen twelve by the end? Fifteen thirteen. Fifteen thirteen, even closer. Um, win to the Tars. We are uh, taking every moment we can get, Matt. It's the start <laughs> of the season. Um, and so here's our question here: Was that a good old fashioned stoush, um, something that to, to revel in, or was it actually just um, you know a, a, a battle of two lesser teams? Reg, what's your, what's your view on this one, mate? Mate, I really enjoyed this game, and I was surprised by some of the the flack it copped online. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a you know it wasn't a New Zealand derby where they score six tries to five and so on, and you know that skill level is above. But I mean, I thought it was great, and maybe that's the, you know the bit of the, the the Queenslander and me. I think the last five games versus the Waratahs we've been done by thirty points, so it was it was nice to be 
you know, in the game for once. But I, I thought the physicality was great. I thought the intensity was was pretty awesome. Um, you know, there, there were drop balls and you know some some moments of uh, of low skill. But I thought it was great. You know, some of the defence was awesome. You know, knees to the head, as Bobus points out. But um, the genuine, you know, bit of fisticuffs and stuff. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed that game to watch as a as a spectacle. Um, it was uh, you know a great great vibe to it. Well, one reason why I think you might have watched it, you might might have really liked it, was because, my God, I mean, at least for the first, it felt like thirty minutes, it really went to the Reds' game plan, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really did. I mean, you know, to get that, um, the territory straight away. I mean, the last two games, I think we've been down versus the Blues and the Rebels, been down sixteen nil thereabouts after twenty minutes. So to actually get points on the board early um, and and through. Um, you know, the the strength we knew would play to, you guys knew would play to, everyone knew would oh. play to, you know, to get that sort of penalty try from the scrum was huge. And it was, um, you know, it was a little bit of a shame how easy the Tars got back into it with first the big Jed Holloway run and then, you know, the easy try. But, um, you know, it was still plenty of plenty to like about that. Mm. And did you see it the same way, Baba? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I, I did. I, I'm, I'm with Reg totally on this. It, it, it was a it was a good old fashioned derby with, you know, both sides were not only there to beat each other up, but but play some rugby too. You know, I I compare it to the Highlanders against the Rebels on a Saturday night, and the Highlanders, you know, as much as it's effective, it's box kick, box kick, box mm. kick. You know, mm. drop ball, kick to the corner. You know, um, you know, lucky bounce and they score tries, and it's it's just mind numbing. But you know, the the Tars and the Reds went at it, hammer and tongs, really you know, um, hard and direct, but also, you know, willing to spread the ball wide, um, take quick line-outs, do that sort of thing. Um, and, and I thought, considering their conditions, which were wet and muggy and, and really quite difficult to play in, I, I thought the quality of the game was fantastic. And, and you know, he did slow down a bit in the last 15 minutes, as, as you'd expect. And I think the Tars probably realised that the helter-skelter stuff probably wasn't in their interest and mm. to control it and to kick to the corners a bit better and start trying to take the points instead of going for line-outs and that sort of thing. But, yeah. um, it, you know, I think it's Queensland have really improved in the last couple of weeks and, and it's really good to see just the, the willingness they have to get stuck in and there's some couple of blokes there that, that aren't the most skillful in the world and they aren't the most gifted, but, God, they, they don't hold back and... and um, yeah, you know, in a few more weeks and they can really start chalking up wins with just if those last passes start sticking and, and um, you know, that sort of thing. But in, in the end, the Waratahs were probably just had a little bit too much class, a little bit too good to close it out. Mm. Yeah, look, our, our back line's still not working right, is it? There's, I think there's one back line move in that second half that was pedestrian and five metres behind the advantage line and just looked really average. And I was, you know, after about 20 minutes, I was ready to pull Ant Fainga. But then he then he pulled out the old classic Ant from a few years ago with just big hits. But the, the, what I loved about this game was some of this young talent still coming through. Look, I thought uh, Dempsey and Holloway for the Tars were just superb. And I was watching the game with my old man, which I don't get to do often enough, and he was just wrapped in Jed Holloway, and he, you know, we we haven't seen an eight like him for for many years, and he he's he's like the missing link for us. It's it's what we've been after, that sort of skillful, 
hard-working but free-running eight. Uh, you know, for the Reds, I thought Andrew Reddy and, and Seth Fahungazi, knees aside, I thought, you know, it's great young talent coming through, Caden Neville and, and the likes. It was just, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and Nick Frisby getting the chance to start at nine. You mm. know, it, it, you're really seeing the benefit. And the, the depth, which being challenged across the, par, across the competition, the Aussie teams, but we're still producing good quality young players. Well, and look, you know, and I think uh, I saw you mention it somewhere, uh, Baba today, which was around, you know, Liam Gill being back. Yeah. Yeah, he was, yeah, well, he was fantastic. Yeah. By all reports, he only played the first 40 minutes. By all reports, that was always the game plan, which surprises me, disappoints me, because we really lost impetus when he left off. But, um, he, you know, just his instinct around the scrum and, and the ruck and, and, and connections with the Frisbee and the like, he caused a lot of damage. Mm. And well, can, we, can we talk that knee, the knee incident, please, for a second? I, yeah. I, I don't want to get, you know, just how how did they decide from that? A, how do they make the decision that that Reddy's the one that that gets the card clear? You know, because he was the one that probably had the most excuse that it was in the course of a scrum. But mm. then, how do they let Fagazi off? If 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 what Reddy does is constitutes a yellow, a knee to the head constitutes a yellow. Fagazi does exactly the same thing. Um, you know, as two seconds later, and is deemed to get off, get off without a sanction. Surely it's either, you know, either you bin Fagazi alone and leave Reddy alone and say, well, you probably didn't know what you were doing, or surely you've got to bin both otherwise. Uh, but aren't they saying, aren't they saying further the fact that Fagazi got cited and suspended, that that was a red card option? Then how come Reedy wasn't red card? I mean, I think the argument there is Reedy being more in the centre of the scrum. And if you pack scrums, you know this. You, he had less chance to to find the space or to control where he's going, whereas Seth's probably looked a little bit more deliberate. But, um, yeah, lots of question marks over that one. Mm. It, it, was a strange, it was a strange refereeing performance. I think I think both sides have, have caused a little bit of, you know, cause for grievance because the, there were some very odd calls. And, Reg, we've discussed that Michael Hooper... Yeah, uh, offside call before half time, which I think was pretty clear. But um, also, I thought for the Tars, I mean, Caden Neville got penalised yeah. for coming in from the side at a mall, which he then proceeded to hold them up over yep. the line from a clear Absolutely. offside position. I yep. mean, it, that's a penalty try ten times out of ten in my book. But the, ver- um, the very definition of one, absolutely. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I don't think it really it didn't affect the results. And you know, I thought it was probably probably the right one, but <laughs> just. Just, just a weird, just a few weird ones across the board. Yeah, there did seem to be a bit of clangers in there, but um, uh, and w- so uh, we had uh, Bernard Foley back as well. Um, what was your take on his uh, performance there, Hugh? I thought he he had he showed some nice touches. You know, mm. the kicking game was on, and the passing game was generally pretty sharp. He got caught a few times, um, probably taking the wrong option, holding the ball when he should have passed. He, and Fienga troubled him, I think, and got up in his face a few times and he got a few big hits. But I think that's, you know, considering he's been out for a while, I, I think it was a, a pretty good performance from him. And you could tell he's just steadied that back line. Um, uh, and with Beal allowed to do a little bit more roaming and, and um, having a guy like, you know, I thought Reese Robinson was good on the wing. And there's enough excitement in that back line that when they click, um, they're gonna they're gonna hopefully put some teams away. That's all we can hope for is that we win the scrum or win the line out, and, and that looks like a fifty fifty chance at best at the moment, unfortunately. 
Yeah, that, that scrum's a bit of a worry. The, the thing that confused me, I wasn't sure if it was the play or whether it was the margaritas I was um, getting through as the game went on. But so, did uh, I serve were you chair, Red's chairman's box this week? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I was um, on a lounge in Loungeville in Longueville. So um, no, no, no chairman's box for me this week, although it was a, a premium beverage um, I was getting stuck into there. But um was how the uh, the scrum seemed to seesaw. Like uh, to start off with, it was business as usual, and um, our scrum kind of uh, when I say our the Waratah scrum getting uh, destroyed. Uh, but then it seemed to um, seesaw there, and then it kind of flipped back the other way. Was was this refereeing inconsistency, or did you know did players change? What, what happened there, Rich? Oh uh, well, I don't know. I, I I can recall that I can't recall whether that was when the Reds were down to seven men um, at one stage, with obviously. Uh, uh, Reddy going off and Browning joining him. I think um, I think the two Robinsons are, or the Robertson and Robinson um, mm. are, are pretty handy replacements. And you know, I think at this stage you've got to give Ben a shot. And I would have thought, God, I don't see Tarvo's value at all. Although Forcefield's um, uh, ruck analysis today shows he's got a pretty decent work rate. So mm. I didn't pick that up in the game, but um, he's yeah. letting the team down elsewhere. No, he's a, he's a great distributor, just a very, very yeah. poor tight head at the moment. Um, anyway, look, so so that's that, uh, Reds versus the Tars. Let's move on. Um, the next burning question we've got is um, about the Kiwi teams. So basically, um, have they left us for dead? Um, or is it just uh, where we are in the competition? If I look down the Australasian group at the moment, um, in the top five places are all Kiwi teams except for the Brumbies at number two. So you've got the Chief Brumbies, Highlanders, Hurricanes, and then the Crusaders. It's then the rest of it um, is all Australian teams and the bottom five except for the Blues um, in at eight. Um, so the table would seem to say so. Reg, you, does that tell the full story or we just haven't seen enough? Oh, look, it, it, is early da- it is early days, but I think it's two rounds now that um, no one's beaten a New Zealand team. Uh, mm this round and last round, and in fact, I think the only um, times they've lost to an overseas team is when the uh, the Brumbies beat the Canes, was it? And then I think the Lions beat the Chiefs in a bit of an upset. So that's, you know, that's pretty damning. And, like, it's early days and you've probably got to see how many times they've actually played foreign teams, but they've probably f- played enough. I think they're, they're scary good. I mean, things may rise, the Brumbies may rise, but, um, yeah, I, I reckon the... the that all-black whatever conveyor belt continues. Oh, Hugh? Yeah, this is as one-sided as I can rem- remember yeah. it. I think that, I mean, we've probably, we've got one side that can win the competition this year, the Brumbies, and I think they've probably got four. And I think that that's unusually low for us and unusually high for them. Um, yeah. And we've also got two, you know, well, you know, the force are absolutely hopeless. The Rebels are seem to be a bit hit and miss. Um, I, I don't think we've really worked out what the Rebels are this year yet. The Reds are getting better, but and the, and the Tars are probably mid-table. And I, I can't see it, you know, every year it's like this at the start of the year where they always tend to start the year better than we do. Uh, and they all, but um, I think this is even, this is worse than I can remember it. Mm. I don't think it means much in terms of internationals later in the year, but... Um, mm. It's, well, um, it's not great. Well, and, and, and I think that's an interesting point around what will this convert to when it comes to internationals. I mean, I think um, kind of echoing your 
comments a little bit is, yeah, I can't remember a time when so many of the Kiwi teams have just been so sorted for what their game plan and game style is going to be and that all the team seems to know just how to slot into it. I don't know if maybe that's because they're missing a few of their stars who maybe they kind of worked around um, and so therefore they've kind of worked, I don't know, more as, more as a team and, and or whether it's the coaching, but it just seems that that sort of jailbreak murder ball has all been concentrated down into the blues. Um, and, you know, whereas we used to be able to hope for the Chiefs or maybe the Hurricanes to, um, you know, the wheels to be able to come off if you applied the right game plan, yeah. um, they seem to have kind of grown out of that um, and seem to, you know, they seem to be able to work through those sort of situations. And, and horrifyingly, we're seeing, you know, the Crusaders as ever, um, you just can't get rid of them, can you? They're kind of like, I don't know, cockroaches or something. They just they just keep coming back. It doesn't matter how many limbs you cut off. Um, Absolutely. They're amazing. They, st- they still seem to be there as well. So anyway, well, look, yeah, it's hard to deny they do seem – they, they do seem bloody good um, at this time at the stage at the comp, um, but we'll see what happens towards the end, and we'll see what that what that means when it comes into national time, because you can only put fifteen guys on the field at once. Um, so that's question number three. Look, I'm going to kind of um, just have a bit, a little bit of a break here in the middle um, for a minute, uh, and just to attend to some other business, um, which is around the business of the podcast. So, long-time listeners will know that um, we haven't had a whole lot of format. Um, or formality here on the podcast. Um, and you've probably noticed over the last few little weeks, we've kind of just started to tighten things up. We've started to raise our game a bit. Um, now, one of the things that we have noticed that sort of many podcasts will have is some sort of catchphrase um, to go with the podcast. And so we've been bouncing this around at Gaga Towers. Um, and so we're interested in, uh, you know, uh, we're interested in suggestions. So, you know, what you think our catchphrase um, could be. So um, I used to have, we used to have one years ago, I thought was, you know, it wasn't really a catchphrase, but um, I used to like signing off with thanks for letting me come in your ears. Um, uh, and that kind of, I got told not to use it anymore um, by my fellow podcasters. So we, we, we bin that one. Um, I was also thinking we could do something like um, slightly less wrong every week. Um, <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, we, obviously we like calling the, 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 uh, the website sort of the, uh, home of Australian rugby online. So, I mean, I guess that one's a little bit more serious. Um, Reg or Hugh, have you guys got any kind of, any, anything to put forward or to throw in the mix? Don't know, mate. How about when you're gagging for a little bit more rugby wang? Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> Is that, that a little bit too much like coming in your ears? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we could call ourselves the wankers. Um, and, and that, what about, what about you, Hugh? You got anything? Oh, mine was a bit more silly. I haven't gone as blue as others have. But, <laughs> I mean, I, mine was just simple. Green and gold rugby. You get what you pay for. <laughs> <laughs> Does that talk about the journalists or the podcasters or the actual podcast? <laughs> I think it covers a lot of things. It wraps it all up. I, I like, like that one. I like that one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right so um see if you got listeners see if you can beat that one and you never know we might even be able to dredge up a prize because actually we do i mean it's it's tense guys but i'm in negotiations with a sponsor um and it's a sponsor that i think everyone would like um so let's hope that that comes off um and there might be then some prizes so get your suggestions in i'm assuming it's not the western force <laughs> <laughs> firepower <laughs> uh, oh. 
uh, Bobus is already on the, on the messages there going, beer company, question mark. <laughs> I can hear him panting in the back room. Um, all right, in the booth. Right. So let's get going. Let's get back to our, uh, our questions. Number four, will Eddie's England bring the hurt to the Wallabies? So they're the uh, Grand Slam, Six Nations, Victors. Is that the first time? Was it since 2003? Um, I want to say the Poms. Anyway, um, I'm surprised they're not all knighted yet. <laughs> they, every time they bloody win something, don't they get um, some sort of honours or something? Yep. Um, Hugh, mate, did you see much of them? And and if so, are you uh, are you are you you know are your knees quivering? Oh, look, I, I've seen highlights. I, I can't say I watched any full full matches. Um, mm. But look, I think it'll it, it'll be interesting. Uh, they all, they of course they will. They'll try and beat the shit out of us. It's it's mm. what they always do. They'll just try and scrum us off our feet and and belt us. Um, and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Whether, I mean, they, the last time they were out here must have been five or six years ago. They haven't been out for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I seem to remember they won one and lost one or might have been 2-1 to us. But um, I think that a lot will depend on how Michael Checker wants to play. Everyone's, you know, you assume will keep that keep the good times rolling from the World Cup. But um, you've got to think with a renewed England, um, probably out for revenge. They're, they're still hurting from that game at oh, Twickenham. Oh, oh. Yeah. I, I think I think it could be pretty brutal for us. Yeah, I think it's butter is the uh, official term for the way they're feeling on that one. Um, Reg, have you have you seen much of them, mate? Uh, uh, are you fearful? Probably the same amount as as Hugh. Oh, not fearful. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to mm. be epic, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. it's almost you know it's not quite. Um, British and Irish Lions type uh, excitement, but it's it's pretty significant. I mean, it's great to, you know, we had the, obviously had the, the World Cup where we got up them, but um, to come in with Eddie, Eddie just how, adds that whole level. Look, if, if it was, you know, Clive Woodward even, who took them to a Six Nations Championship, it'd just be another tour, but just because it's Eddie, you know, it, it adds a new sort of, uh, you know, level to this encounter and his relationship yeah. with Chica and so on. So we're going to see so much in the press, and we've already well, seen... Say, the, the press mind games itself yeah. is going to be, you'd pay a ticket, wouldn't you? Just to get yeah. along just to get along with some of those presses. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, Hugh, I just did the research for you, mate. Yeah, 2010, they're our last out. Two tests, one in Perth, we won 27-17, and then one in England. I'll uh, say in Sydney at ANZ Stadium, which we went down 21-10. Um, I seem to remember they scrummed us into the ground there, and that might have been Ben Daly or some. No, maybe not. That yeah, was probably no, no, Daly, time, Daly debuted in that uh, that Perth test. You're right, mate. And we Celesi Marfu playing his third test. Sarah Finger playing his third test. Daly was loose head prop. Hewer Edmonds was on the bench. James Slipper's second test. So it was a Ooh. really rookie front row. Um, combination yeah. yeah well and the um i mean i've got to say I, i've watched i think i watched the welsh match or most of it and i watched a good slug of the french test match um for, from the six nations um and the one thing is like I've, I've said this for years when the poms remember that you know how damaging quick ball can be um they're dangerous because you know they've got those massive forward runners they've got this have you, have you guys seen this a, a todgy guy um yeah Second rower, he's yeah. he's um, just you know supremely athletic. Um, he's still a young guy. Uh, you know he could, he's going to be able to go far, I would think. Um, but you know in that pack, um, they're actually starting to solidify. They've been around for a while together now. 
It looks like they've come down a bit. I guess that could be the eddy factor. But, you know, one of the things that they managed to just to get going, and they've got those two halfbacks who are both very dangerous with ball in hand. Um, Youngs and the other guy who will come to me in a minute, um, who were both, um, you know, when they kind of sort of tic-tacked, and I thought they were both just really dangerous. So when they kind of, you know, Eddie likes playing off a nine, um, you know, with a pack, and I, I think he's kind of getting them into that. And they've got those big ball runners; they're hard to put, they're hard to put down. Um, but you know, what's always worked for us in the past is when they've forgotten that and they've just gone back to slow ball, and then we can uh, kind of compete and wrap them up. And uh, so we'll see what happens um, on that one. I, I agree with you two guys, though. I think you know, we've got no reason to fear. Um, what we will need to do, though, is have a a decent pack together um, and not forget that skill set, which anyone following the Tars at the moment would um, be really uh, feeling uh, very acutely at the moment. And maybe this brings us on to our final question, um, which is around Checker being off overseas. Um, So which OS-based, overseas-based Aussie um, should he be scouting to bring back to Super Rugby? I I think we might all be going to say the same name at the same time. Um, Who do you think for this one here? Uh, I, I I don't know. See, uh, you've talked about scrum stuff. I mean, the guy I'd like to see back, who's apparently playing quite well, that that I um I admittedly haven't seen firsthand, but is um is Leroy Houston, mm. um who's supposedly doing very well, um in I want to say he's playing. I think it's Bath. Bath, yes, that's that's the one. One of the, um, and apparently he's having you know he's had a couple of great seasons over there. And he was always the sort of unfulfilled potential of Australian rugby before he went. Everyone suggesting he'd be sensational, but he never really got there. And um, obviously seems to be flourishing over there. So another sort of raw bone number eight we could use. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'd like to see him back. All right, Reg? Yeah, it's interesting. So he's obviously over there speaking to the likes of you know, Horwell and Genia and all those sorts of guys. But, was you know, that what talk- we were supposed to answer? No, 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 mate, Hugh, no, oh. not at all, because I'm with you. I'm talking about the guys, the Dean mums, the guys that he, you know, he's trying to talk back, and Leroy is one that sort of hit the press a little while ago. But there's a there's a few guys, and you talk about the scrums, and, and I don't know his contract situation or if he's actually played for England A, but Kieran Longbottom and, and then young Paul Palo Aloamil, who was at the Rebels, who sort of, I think he went off to State Francais. You know, both really good quality tight head props. Uh, Aloamil, you know, young and still learning the game. I'd love to see those guys back in the game. And, you know, the, the force would be better, with, you know, long bottom packing down at number three, and, and as with the Rebels with Aloamil at number three as well. And the other one is a, an athletic back rower. You mentioned Leroy. I don't know if you'd ever use the term athletic for Leroy, but Peter Kimlin. You know, Kim mm. was a, you know, really finding his feet for the Brumbies. Um, and I remember, you know, the game he played for the Brumbies versus um, the Lions was just superb. And now he's off somewhere in France and still playing well. But, you know, as an athletic backer, I could also cover a bit of lock. Mate, I'd, I'd be jumping on him. Yeah. I, I, Unfortunately, Reg, just to, to, to touch on your point, um, Kieran Longbottom's just signed with Sale Sharks. Yeah, um, I think for two seasons. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was wondering if he ever got that England A cap. I know he's in, the Poms haven't picked him. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's been picked yet, but I know he qualifies. Hasn't played for the sevens team yet. 
somehow, I don't think even they're they're not that desperate at the moment. Well, I mean, I don't think we're going to see Peter Kimlin back um, after someone very rudely called him. <laughs> was, it, was it Twitter, Reg, or was it on the podcast? Yeah, Twitter. I get in all sorts of trouble on Twitter. That's where Git had a go at me too. Remember many many years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, just uh, yeah, the Green and Gold Rugby's own diplomat. Um, <laughs> On, on on Twitter there, um, but oh, I thought Kimlin. I thought the, probably the last game I saw him play. I think on the Shores was it um, was it the Lions match? Yeah, I think it was. Where that where the, where the, the Brumbies won, and he had that he was he played out of his skin it's in that. Amazing, game. yeah. And as Bobby's points out, I think he was actually captain that game too. So he yeah. was superb. Yep. Yeah. Um, alrighty. So um, well, look, the one I was going to throw in, but I'm. Did you guys not say him because he qualifies through tests or something? It was just going to be Sakopi Kepu. Oh, yeah. Well, we need to grovel for him. I'd be rolling out the red carpet doing whatever we can because, yeah. I mean, we do, you know, having just got to the point where we felt. Well, Greg Holmes, Greg Holmes, it will be a good three. I mean, if he, if Greg Holmes goes down injured, we will, we'll be really struggling. But, um, exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, Holmes, is a, Holmes only gets through the, the, the three POM tests. So like he's – Yeah, he's off after that. Yeah, or, yeah, I guess it's the rugby championship, but yeah. All right, where's he said he's going? He's off what? to uh, Exeter perhaps. I think it's Exeter. One of those POMI clubs. God, these filthy POMI clubs stealing all our bloody props. Um, Bobus in the booth has um, pumped out um, Jesse Mork. I must admit I've seen him. He's been scoring some absolute scorchers. Um, for is it Montpellier? I think he he's, he plays for, and he's just he makes everyone look like they're running at half half pace. Um, yeah, is, is is there rumours there about Montpellier and, and Jake White and and a bit of player disgruntlement again, and you know mm-hmm. what the impacts for the likes of Nick White and Ben Moen who who might not be keen to stick around? I think they're that Montpellier. Mm, yeah, actually, someone else told me a bit about yeah, that. And Joe Tam- yeah, and Joe Tamani wants to come. Doesn't want to go over there. That's that's I think one of the one of the um, sort of things that has flowed on from that. Mm, well, there you go. Right, then we'll look. Um, that's the today, that's this week's five burning questions. I think we've put all those to bed. Let's have a look ahead at um, this weekend. I think I can fran- hear Reg frantically rustling. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you get what you pay for, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, um, mate. What what of what festival of rugby do we have ahead of us this weekend? Yeah, okay, so Friday night or Friday afternoon, uh, we get some Aussie action straight away with the Highlanders hosting the four. So whether or not you decide to watch that one, that'll be interesting. Uh, at least there's some Aussie action on Friday because there's not much else until uh, Saturday. So the Lions are hosting the Crusaders early Saturday morning. The Blues, the Jaguars, make their first trip to New Zealand, I believe. So they're uh, playing against the Auckland Blues on uh, Saturday afternoon. That could be fully mental, that game. Yeah, yeah. that could be, absolutely. Uh, um, and the Brumbies, uh, which should be the match, the roundage, suggest hosting the Chiefs on uh-huh. Saturday night. So 6.45 kickoff, I assume that's Brumby time. Uh, late that night, the Kings are hosting the Sunwolves and then the Bulls facing the Cheetahs. And then Sunday afternoon footy uh, in Sydney where the Waratahs are hosting the Rebels, which will be, um, you know, a local derby, but should be a good encounter. It's, I think that's the, you know, they're similar probably points at the moment. Um, and the Reds, lucky us, get to have the bye. Seth, Seth Hungazi, unfortunately, gets to miss out on a club rugby game. I'll well, see if you guys can take on the bye successfully. Um, <laughs> all right, guys, I think that's it. Um, good solid pod 
And um, thanks, thanks you guys for joining. Ah, uh, thank you, Matt. No, you're welcome. Cheers, Matt. The normal check in the post. Um, thanks, Bobus, back there in the booth, mate. Yep, he's he's nodding. Uh, and uh, oh. <laughs> who let him on? Yeah, it's like little, it's like a little tube that comes through from the booth, um, which is why the sound doesn't sound quite so good there. But um, and then and thank you most of all to the listeners. So um, yeah, get us in. Look, the one thing we never mentioned, and this is the other thing that other podcasts do. Look, um, we have some fantastic ratings on iTunes. Um, I think we're averaging five um, over the years, and we've been going since 2010. Um, but we haven't had one for a good year or two. So if you wouldn't mind getting in there and plugging in um, a good rating and a comment, if that's the way you feel, obviously you get the ratings you pay for. <laughs> Um, then, um, then that'd be uh, much appreciated. Um, otherwise, throw in your questions, your thoughts, your burning questions for next week, um, and we'll see what we can do. But um, that's that's all for tonight. And thanks for letting us come in your ears. Night. Right there, right there.